you just got everybody listening worried about our marriage. Oh, <laughs> they should be. Welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I am Barry Liga. With me, as always, almost always, most of the time, <laughs> usually, sometimes. I get 80% of, no, 90% of the time. Whatever. Is my wife and my co-host, Morgan Baden. Hello, Hi. Morgan. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. I mean, I feel like you're throwing some shade my way, but I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. So, we have a lot to talk about this week. Okay. A lot, lot, lot going on. A lot going on. There's a lot on my list to talk about. So, uh, one of the first things I want to talk about is we got an email from a listener, we which we always love, uh, a listener named Daniel, and he writes, first of all, his subject line was the one with the returning listener, kudos. which kudos that that is the way to properly ingratiate yourself into our favor <laughs> is by using friends references. Um, he says, uh, hi, Morgan and Barry. I don't know why you come first. Well, that's uh, a whole separate podcast. Anyway, just wanted to thank you both. Again, for continuing to create this super show, last week's episode in particular was really great, so I guess he hated every other episode. Uh, your thoughts on slow openings, especially Morgan's enjoyment of slow burn pacing is something I could relate to. Once again, nice. it's all about you. I'd be curious to learn your thoughts on something similar. Prologues. We have a lot of thoughts on prologues. Barry noted that good slow openings can be difficult to perfect, so I was curious if a prologue or a flash forward could help achieve this. Consequently, do you think they can be misused to excuse poorly written slow openings? Mm -hmm. In other words, a writer uses a prologue to help offset a slow opening rather than rework the opening until it can stand well on its own. Is this writer cheating? Or is this actually a smart thing to do, given the inherent difficulty with writing a good slow opening? Thanks mm -hmm. again, Daniel. Well, Daniel, despite your... Bizarre infatuation with my wife. I thank you <laughs> for for your your email. And yeah, I think we have some things to say about prologues. Yeah. Um, what what do you think? Uh, I think a lot of things. No. Um, so I'm someone who is guilty currently of using a prologue. Ah. My current manuscript has a prologue. Wait, except actually, I think I labeled it chapter one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so remember. Never mind. Okay. Initially, like one in one of the earlier drafts, it was a prologue. Um, I have, so generally speaking, I have no problems with prologues whatsoever. I'm really intrigued by Daniel's implication slash outright saying, so that it is using a prologue cheating because it means you can throw in an intention grabbing action scene or something like that. That you then don't have to deal with immediately. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't, that's a, that's a tough question. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Is there cheating in writing? I mean, maybe. I don't know. But, um, yeah. I, I mean, you will see, I think this is still the case, but that if you're looking up um, research from literary agents about how to perfect your first draft and things like that, uh, I believe a lot of agents say don't use a prologue. Yeah. Um, that they're, I think maybe because for a while there they were just overdone. I think they were extremely overdone. Yeah. So I don't know if that's still the general recommendation. Um, I, I don't know. So overall, I don't have a problem with them as a blanket rule. Right. There are definitely some that I think are a result of lazy writing. Okay. What do you think? Uh, you know, I always try to remind myself that the word prologue is from the Latin prologos, which means you should cut <laughs> this. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you went there because I was actually 
you know, truly rolling my eyes as he started to do that. But only, but in a loving way. Whenever I bust out the Latin, <laughs> Morgan rolls her eyes. <laughs> At least you didn't start, I don't know, comparing it to Paradise Lost or something. So, hey! I know. Now, you know, the, the problem with prologues, I think, is is that they have become a cliche yeah. in a way. Uh, you know, to the point where I, I saw, you know, a book in in the past year where there was a prologue and I was reading it and I thought, oh, okay, I know that as soon as this prologue is over, we're going to take a jump forward in time. Yeah. And I am going to find myself with a bunch of characters in the same location, but in a different time. Yep. And they are eventually going to discover whether by supernatural or other means what happened in the prologue and that will have a bear. And you can just yeah. tell. Yeah. I mean, everybody uses them the same way. There's a template almost. Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean, when when I was when I was in my writing group a million years ago, um, I wrote a prologue to something I was working on, and one of the women in the group said, "Oh, you know what we always say about prologues?" I said, "What?" She goes, "Cut them." <laughs> you told me that too. Yeah, like she uh, said, in this or, manuscript back then. she said, "Or if it's really important to your story, it's chapter one." Exactly. Yeah. And I I feel a few things with prologues. I think a lot of times I think. I think if you're going to use a prologue, it should be used sparingly. I think it should be extremely short mm. and to the point. Um, because there's nothing worse than a prologue that's the length of a chapter, yeah. say. And you read through it and you become invested in the characters and the setting and the story. And then suddenly you jump 300 years into the future mm -hmm. in chapter one. And you have no idea when you're going to meet these characters again. Yeah. And it's like, well, you feel like... Well, to be honest too, yeah. the, the really interesting thing about e-readers... And how there's all this evidence that changing that reading on a screen changes how you perceive the story versus okay. reading on paper. If there's a prologue that does exactly that and has a bunch of characters at a set time and space, right. and then the book skips ahead X amount of years with different characters, I forget about that prologue. Like, I, mm. just because I'm a forgetful reader, as we've all established. Um, and... When you're reading on an e-reader, it's a little bit difficult to go back. To flip back. To easily go back and be like, oh, who was that again? Right. When those characters resurface. Right. So it's this really interesting thing that I've definitely come across books where I've read the prologue and then fast forward 200 pages and those characters come up and I have no idea what's going on. Right. And I have to go back and it's a hassle. And then I don't like the book. Yeah. I just, I, I think they should be short. If you're going to do it at all, make it short. Try not to make it just, you know, chapter zero yeah. of your book. Um, because if it's that important, it should be a chapter in your book. You know, the point of a prologue is it's supposed to be a short, a little short bit at the beginning. Uh, you know, after the Red Rain originally had a prologue. Oh, yeah. And it was like a page. It was maybe three paragraphs. And then we decided to do something different. But I, I, I do I, I don't want to say that it's cheating, but I think it's I, I think when they're used the way Daniel is describing them, I think the writer is in denial. Uh, I think the writer is thinking, oh, this fixes my problem. And it doesn't. It just, it just highlights it, right? Well, it highlights it and all it does is delay your problem by however many pages long your prologue is. Yeah. You know, if you can't pull off a slow burn correctly or or well or effectively then all you're doing is delaying the amount of time until your reader gets fed up with you, mm. you know, and the reader reads this slam bang prologue and then starts this slow burn first chapter. And yeah. they go, wait, what the hell just happened? Yeah. I was reading this exciting story and now I'm reading this slow story. No, no. So that's, 
that's how I feel. Um, but I want to go back to Daniel's idea of cheating. Sure. Think about that. Just generally, can writers cheat? No, okay. I don't think so. Okay. You know, I, I, I feel like whatever you need to do to tell the story is fair game. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think there are things you can do that feel like cheating. I mean, there's the old expression, um, to, uh, to hang a lantern on something, right? you know, which is where, you know, a question the reader is going to have at this point and there's no answer for it. Yeah. So you have a character bring it up and dismiss it. Yeah. As a way of telling the reader, oh, no, don't worry about that. About this. But you yeah. still haven't solved the problem. Yeah. You've just you've just cheated to try to get the reader to ignore it. I'm, as we discussed this, I'm trying to think of prologues that work. Yeah, I would. People should write into us and tell us stories of prologues that worked, like yeah. books that had great prologues. And I'm sure there are. I'm oh, sure there I've are. Read them. Yeah. I'm, just, I mean, I'm I've, drawing a blank right I've now. I've read several books. I mean, yeah. you want to talk about cheating. I cheated with Herotype. There's a prologue in Herotype, and I didn't want to call it that. Oh. So I called it something else. I didn't call it a prologue. What'd you call it? I called it Overture. Ah. <laughs> um, That's totally cheating. <laughs> it's totally cheating. It's totally cheating. And I did a, a layout trick, too, where instead of, you know... You know, most of the time with a prologue, it just says the word prologue at the top of the first page, like a chapter. Yeah. It would say chapter mm-hmm. one. I did a whole thing where instead there was just a whole separate page that just said overture. Oh, and you turn and the page this. and it started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, so th- these are things you do to try to set the reader's mood and expectations mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Um, but no, I mean, I think, I think, you know, a lot of times there are things that could be prologues that we just don't call them prologues. You know, boy toy starts with uh, Josh listing the top 10 things he learned at the age of 12. Right. One of which is how to please a woman. Yeah. And in a way, that's a prologue, I guess. It comes before the story. Yeah. I mean, seriously, prologos is before the action. Yeah. Um, and so it comes before the story. So it's technically a prologue, but we don't call it that. It's one page. It's a list of 10 things. And it sets up the story for yeah. you. And it's not designed to sort of trick you into thinking this is the kind of story I'm going to like, and then you find out it isn't, yeah. it is there to say to you, no, this is exactly what this story is about. You're yeah. going to read about a 12 year old having sex with a grown woman. Um, right from page one, you know that. Um, so yeah, prologues can be good and they can work, but I do feel like people are abusing them and using them in a very cliched way and, and, and using them to, to paper over bad writing mm-hmm. or bad pacing or bad plotting or whatever. They think, oh, I can fix this. And they also, you know, we, we sort of have this teaser mentality from from TV shows yeah. where a show has a cold open and it's it's getting longer and longer. It used to be just a couple minutes and then they'd go to the credits. Yeah. Now it's like that are, 10, 15 uh-huh. minutes before you go to the to the credits. And I think a lot of times that's what authors think they're doing. Yeah. But they forget that you have those 10 or 15 minutes of teaser, then you have the credits, then you go right back to where you start, you left off yeah. before the, 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 uh, the credits for the most part, sometimes you don't, but for the most part you do. And what most authors are doing is again, telling you a story that is tangentially related to the story you're about to read. Yeah. And it's just, it's annoying and frustrating. So that, that's how I feel. Good question, Daniel. Yeah. Good question. And again, people let us know, what do you think? What are, what are some good prologues? What are books that did it right and did it well? We'd love to hear that. So I want to move on now to parenthood for a moment. We both... What, the, the movie or the TV yeah. show or... Definitely not the TV show. Yeah, I know. So 
we stumbled individually upon an article on uh, on quartz, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And it is titled "Being a Good Parent Will Physiologically Destroy You." <laughs> And that's just the kind of thing I love to read. And the gist of this article is that children with highly empathetic parents do really well. They are healthier. They have better immune systems. They're better adjusted emotionally. But the parents, like it's been proven through blood tests, the parents are falling apart. (laughs) There is a cellular level inflammation that shouldn't be there. Uh, which leads to uh, defects in the immune system, et cetera, et cetera. And so the parents, basically, basically it seems to be saying the better a parent you are, the, the sicker you the, will the get. The sicker you will get. <laughs> and, and I will add, the better the chance you will die young. So what are we to make of this? How does this make us feel? Sick. No, um, <laughs> listen, I, so I hate when people talk about being sick. I've said this before. Only because, like, I know people who literally like post to Facebook every time they throw up. I don't, that's gross. I I don't care with pictures on Instagram, (laughs) but the truth is I have been sick basically nonstop since since having the baby since Thanksgiving. Yeah. Since Thanksgiving this past year, I have been been almost literally literally every day, but just generally speaking, I am someone who all of a sudden does not have an immune system and is sick all the time. Right. And I'm not used to that. And it drives, of course it drives me crazy, but also like, I just, I don't want to keep talking about it because it drives me crazy to have to talk about it because no right. one wants to hear about it. And I know that. So anyway, so I feel like this solves all of my, my questions, <laughs> which is I'm clearly just too great of a parent. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is the silver lining in the, in the cloud of vomit, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is that if this is happening to you, it means you're a damn good parent. <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I am a, a, I think I'm an empathetic person anyway. Um, and yes, having a baby change it just intensifies that empathy in my experience so many times over and i I don't know what the other answer is like uh, to this question of why do i get sick all the time so i read this article and i was like okay well it makes me feel better at least because it's not like in my head like i'm actually just truly getting sick all the time because i love my kid too much yeah yeah it's science science told me so and the weird thing, and I should knock on wood as I say this, is that usually I get sick quite a bit. Yeah. And this whole time you've been sick, I haven't gotten sick at all, which clearly. is very strange. I mean, clearly so you're a I must, parent. I must be a terrible parent. Science, again. Science. I can't deny it. I mean, it's right there, man, in black and white. I mean, there's charts and graphs and everything. On a serious note, though, I think this really illustrates the importance of self-care. Oh, God, yeah. Particularly for parents, um, because you are the first line of defense against your kid. And you have to, if you're not well, your baby's not well. I've always said, I remember the first time I got really sick, uh, just with like a bad cold or something when she was brand new. And I was like, I said to you, you know, I can do this when I, when I feel okay. Yeah. When I don't feel okay, I cannot do this. I can't be a parent. Like, I can't wake up with her all night and yada, yada. And uh, Yeah, you really have to take care of yourself. I remember the first time I was sick Mm -hmm. with her, and it was when you had gone back to work. And and I just remember, you know, she was really little at the time, and I just remember being like, how am I going to do this? Like, I feel like hell. Mm -hmm. How am I supposed to take care of her? Now, she was really little. She wasn't running around the house or anything like that. Her demands were few. So <laughs> that, they were loud. <laughs> that was fortunate. And I remember, like, there was a day 
where we sat on the sofa and watched Law and Order episodes. I remember that yeah. <laughs> for like three hours, four yeah. hours straight, and I I felt bad that she was watching Law and Order. Um, but that was all I could do. And fortunately, she just wanted to sit near me. And yeah. So that was fine. Yeah. But yeah, it's tough. And and I've sort of, you know, I, I realize I've developed sort of a philosophy of I want my life to be pleasant and fun and easy because that will make it better for my kid. Mm. Like if I'm enjoying my life yeah. and if I'm not tripping over things constantly, then... It's easier for me to be a good parent to her. Yeah. And then she's happier. Yeah. Even if, you know, that means sometimes denying something to her in the short term. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. If in the long term, it will work out that indirectly she'll benefit well, from that. Well, kind of like the discipline conversation we've had. Right. right sure. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. Definitely. But that article, that, that article definitely... Put, put the fear of God into me. Well, it's really fascinating. Like, yeah, to see that at, truly at a cellular yeah, to level. to see somebody like, do the increased research. Increased inflammation. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. We are strange, strange beings. We really are. God. All right. So there you go. Those of you listening, if you're sick all the time, you're good parents. If you're not sick. <laughs> Congratulations. If you're not sick. What is the matter with you? Your kids are going to grow up to be serial killers. So, And you would know. And I would know. Exactly. Uh, let's talk about another article. This is something, this is something that melds parenthood and writing. And this was something that you actually found and sent to me. It was on fast company. We'll put a link in the show notes and it was the five habits of creative working parents. Mm. I found this interesting because it wasn't just about how do you have a job and be a parent. parent, It was, how do you have a creative job and Mm -hmm. be a parent? So I'm going to go ahead and I'm not going to read the whole article or anything, but I'm just going to give you the the five bullet points, the the five important things. Number one is they make time for the people who inspire them. Mm. Number two is they don't check email before bed. (laughs) Number three is they stay open to new ideas no matter where they are. Number four, they find a new outlet for creativity. And number five, they blur the lines and enjoy the chaos. (sighs) I thought these things were all pretty interesting. There was, you know, blurring the lines and enjoying the chaos. That's obviously, we've talked about that before. I think, you know, when we talked about the one article about every day is a disaster. Yeah. Um, You know, and at some point you just have to throw your hands up in the air and go. This is how life is. This is is how life is. This is life. Um, I've actually been doing that a lot lately internally mm -hmm. because a lot of what I do is, I, I feel like I've been, without recognizing it, waiting for the perfect week in which to kick ass at my job and then come home and kick ass with my kid and then put her to bed and kick ass with my writing and like do that seven days in a row. And like, there you go. I finished the book and and everything. You get like an achievement in a video game. Right. Yeah. And like, finally one day I was like, Morg, that's literally never going to happen. Like you're never going to have, you're never going to be hitting a hundred in every area of your life yep. at the same exact time for multiple days in a row. Right. So embrace this chaos, like yeah. get move beyond that as a goalpost. Right. So that's a really good one. I think Yeah. the one about finding new outlet for creativity is interesting. And I'm curious how you feel yeah. about this because the, the example that the article gives is a guy who was very much into theater, you know, dance music, that sort of thing. His kids came along. He didn't have time for that anymore. And then he found himself cooking and catering And that became his new creative outlet. And I just, there's a part of me that goes, wait, so you went from being in the theater to cooking. Like, I'm not saying one is better than the other at all, Mm -hmm. but 
I just, I don't, maybe he's a better person or a more flexible person than I am, but I can't imagine that it scratches the same itch. And now, but I am an extremely uh, one track person. You are a one track person. I am a total one track totally person. I totally see how this works. I was going to say, can you see, because yeah. un- unlike me, you are a person of multiple talents. <laughs> like I can write, that's it. I, I can do it sort of well. You can write, but you also do other things. People may not know you paint and draw and and things like that so and i'm a pretty good dancer and you're a pretty good dancer so i've been told so (laughs) you never take me out dancing you wouldn't know (laughs) there's a reason (laughs) there's a reason no but um truly i understand this because i do think that some for a lot of creative people uh the creativity is varied and uh that means that yeah if i was focusing on being a, a clown at kids' birthday parties for a few years, and then my schedule got crazy, and I had to. Lo- I didn't have time to be a clown anymore. But I realized that I could do stand-up comedy routines to my kids before bed, and that scratched the same itch. Like, yeah, you're transferring one set of creativity to another. I, I totally get that, and hmm. I actually, I mean, I think being a cook is an extremely creative profession. Oh, yeah, no, I wasn't denigrating. No, 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 I know you're not, but I'm saying so, uh, and I think that that makes perfect sense to go from, uh, and I'm trying, I'm struggling with how to, um, how to say this, but. Nourishing people's souls to nourishing their stomachs? Well, I, I don't know. There's something about being in the theater is a presentation and being a, a talented chef is also a sort of presentation, huh. just using different materials. So I think that's really interesting. I just don't get it. Well, think about this though. How, okay, let's let's do it in your terms. You initially did, were not a young adult author. Yeah. You were trying to write adult cr- sure. what, crime fiction, thrillers, what? All, sorts All of, of that things. science fiction, whatever. Yeah. You easily transferred that specific creativity into YA. It's still writing. It's still right. No, but I'm just saying, like, there are subtle changes yeah. to to yeah. what you've done too. You're transferring one to the other, and and then to middle grade. And you've tried picture books and then you've tried adult and that, you know what I mean? So like you are transferring your creativity a bit. Obviously it's not to the same yeah, extent. I just, I, I, you know, I get asked a lot when I do school visits, what would you be doing if you weren't a writer? And I have no idea. I, I'm just like, I don't know. This is the only thing I want to do. Like, I just don't know. You do know. No, You'd be an app developer. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. You'd yeah. be the greeter at the Apple store. <sighs> That's my dream, dream job. job. I know. <laughs> I just wanted, you know, I, I wouldn't even get paid. I would just take stuff home. <laughs> They'd actually just be like, Barry, can you go home? Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. We never hired you. Anyway, I encourage people to read that article because it has some interesting, helpful information. In it. Yeah. Thank you for finding it and passing it You're along. Um, so I'll talk, let's talk quickly about a writing update. Sure. So we're both revising. We are. We're both in hell. It is not a, the, the bait and like a household is not a fun it's place. It's not to a be fun right place now. to be right now. No, not at all. So how's it going? It's, it's going well. Okay. I good. had a, um, a couple of days of feeling very stuck and also feeling like I, I talked about this last week. Uh, I expected a, a certain amount of ripple effect into the right. rest of the manuscript when right. I moved to this event. And it seems, as I approach the end here, it seems like there's more than there was. Um, but I got stuck, and what I ended up doing was printing out the first 110 pages. Okay. Which is the point I'd, I'd been, I'd gotten up to up until now. And 
let it sit for a couple of days and then reread it and did some very brief copy edits, through, very minor copy edits through it, but also realized what the problem was and what was sort of blocking me. So it's one of those things that I always forget works for me, which is if I've been staring at the screen too long, transfer it to paper. Yep. Like print it out. You start to see it in a different way and vice versa. If you're someone who likes to handwrite or whatever, try and you get stuck, try writing, try typing it and, and I don't know, seeing what happens. So anyway, so I feel optimistic and truly uh, if I stick to my guns this week, I will probably be done this week. Great. Yeah. Great. How about you? I, first of all, I, I'm a fan too of printing, yeah. printing stuff out. I print out my manuscripts multiple times. Um, I use both sides of paper, so, you know, I'm, I'm not hurting the environment. I'm hurting the environment half as much. Um, no, I think that's great. I'm, you know, I'm at a point where I have gone through the entire manuscript. I have taken copious notes, um, and I'm in this weird spot where I just, I feel like I know what my editor is thinking or what she wants, but I don't know the most reasonable way to provide it. I feel like like this book has a has an interesting structure I've come to realize mm. that that I didn't really I did some of it intentionally, but it, it's sort of it, it's structured almost like a poem in a way. Or, or like a song where there's there's like long stretches and then very short choppy mm. sections. Yeah. And so it so to so it has its own rhythm. And in another sort of book, in another type of story, you know, I'd go, oh, okay, I, need, I, you know, I didn't do a good job explaining X, so I'll add a scene or I'll add a chapter explaining this. And, and I'm in a position where I feel like to add, to insert these things would really mess with the rhythm mm. of, of the story, the flow of the yeah. story. And so I'm trying to figure out how to do that without doing violence to this structure hmm. that I think works, that just sort of relentlessly pulls you through the story. Uh, so that's where I am right now, but yeah. I've got a lot of notes. There's a lot of red ink on the paper. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, this week I will be actually sitting down and, and writing nice, you know, new, not nice, new stuff. Nice, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I am. Uh, so yes, we're both revising. We need to avoid this situation in the future I know, seriously. where we're both revising. We well. need to make sure one of us is drafting while the other is revising and vice versa. Cause this is not good. Not good at all. Uh, so let's, let's talk quickly about recommended reading and, or what are you reading now? We haven't done this in a while because I wasn't reading anything yeah. because I was busy with my class. My class is over. Uh, so I have time and go ahead. Yeah. What, are, what are you reading or what do you recommend? I'm in the middle of the year of yes by Shonda Rhimes. Ah. Which, so not a book I would normally read, but I saw a lot of smart people talking about how great it was, and I am, and maybe we'll talk about this next time, but I'm sort of actively seeking more joy in my life, and I read that this was a, a good book for that. You just got everybody listening worried about our marriage. Oh. <laughs> they should be. Wow. No, 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 no. It's, it's something I think I'll talk about next week. Um, but... Uh, it's a great book, obviously. And I should be clear here. I'm not a Shonda, Shonda Rhimes super fan. Like, I don't watch Grey's Anatomy. I don't watch Scandal. I watched the first season of How to Get Away with Murder. But uh, by the second episode of the second season, I was just sort of checked out. Yeah. I didn't like the new storyline. So I don't watch that. So anyway, uh, but she's an inc- obviously an incredibly successful, oh, talented, yeah. smart woman. And, uh, and it's, a re- it's a really enjoyable book. And... 
incredibly inspiring and funny. I'm like laughing out loud on the subway. And it includes transcripts of some of her recent speeches, um, commencement speeches oh, cool. and at Dartmouth and, and other places. So that's a nice way to pat it out. It is. Book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm really liking it and, um, yeah, learning a lot and, cool. and being inspired. So I, cool. I recommend it and I'm currently reading it. Cool. You? Well, you know, we had listeners send in suggestions, uh-huh. and I've got now on my iPad, I think, four or five books that I will be reading, which is great. Uh, maybe next week I'll actually bring the iPad in and tell people what they are. Um, yeah, right now it's like all the way across it's the It's all the way wing. across the other wing of the house, mm-hmm. and the butler took the night, took off. The night off, so I can't have him bring it in. Uh but, uh, you know, I, I, I think we, I ended up getting about a dozen recommendations and I looked at the, uh, samples for all of them and winnowed it down to about five, I think, mm-hmm. um, that were ones where I was like, yeah, I, I could read this. Um, but I, the book I just finished reading is one that I stump I stumbled upon a comment on a thread online where somebody said, you know, in his memoir, oh, right. in his memoir, so-and-so talks about this. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that guy wrote a memoir. And so I'm not a big memoir reader, but I read it. And it's The Garner Files. It's the memoirs of James Garner, who I've always been a fan of since I was a little kid. Um, Which, like, totally is a a generational divide between us. Oh, I'm sure it is. Because I was literally like... That old actor? <laughs> right, when you right. said that. And I was like, why on earth would you read a memoir? Right. No disrespect intended. Yeah. He's a talented man. But. Yeah, no. Um, but uh, but it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, oh, yeah, he'll tell anecdotes about the shows that I watched. And that'll be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I always like behind the scenes kind of stuff. And you know, quite honestly, it also felt like it would be, you know, we've talked about how I haven't been reading a lot because I've been so swamped and everything. And I thought, you know, this will be an easy way. This will ease me in because there's no plot. Yeah. <laughs> there's no characters. It's just anecdotes. It's yeah. just about this guy's life. So I read it, really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of interesting stuff in there. And, uh, and, and yeah, so now I'll be moving on to something else. I don't know which one of the five, actually. I'll probably ah. sit down after we record and, and look at that and decide which one. So, so I'm laughing because... <laughs> I feel very ungenerous about this, but every time you would come across something interesting or funny or crazy in his memoir, you would yeah. read it aloud to me. Yeah. And the other day, I was not like, every time. No. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enough. No. And the other day, I was like, I get that you're enjoying this book, but I literally <laughs> could not care less about James Garner. Yeah. And his life story. I just, it is just so, out of the list of 100 things I care about, it is number 200. Like I right. just don't care. Right. So. Please stop reading these aloud to me, which feels like it's, that makes me sound like a terrible person, but, um, but it it was just very funny. So now I'm actually always going to chuckle when I think, when I hear of someone reading that book, so, So, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. No, I did. I did. I enjoyed it. I mean, except there was a long chapter about golf, which Uh I just, your favorite, quite frankly, kind of skimmed that one. Um, but, uh, yeah. So no, I, I enjoyed it, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading some of the fiction cool. that uh, that is now on my list. So there you go. All right, thank you everybody for listening. As always, please visit us at writinginreallife.com. Check out the show notes. Send us an email like Daniel did. Uh, follow us on Twitter at wirl podcast. And rate us on iTunes, subscribe to us, and then give us five stars, show us the star love, and we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.